church and happy Sabbath Good morning. and happy family life day <laughs> and in the spirit of our family life day I would like to invite the rest of the Sanford family on up to read this morning's call to worship and invocation with me in the temple courts of our God. Praise the Lord, for that is good. Honor his name with songs, for that is pleasant. Father God, we thank you so much for blessing us to enter your gates today, Lord. We pray that you will bless us in a very special way. Allow your Holy Spirit to be with us as we worship you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' blessed name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. And I just want you to reflect as we sing this next song on the many blessings that the Lord has bestowed upon us. We are abundantly blessed. When we think about people all over the world and the destitute situations that we see all over the world, and, and even here we see a lot, we're all here this morning with life, health, breath, and strength, roofs over our heads, food to eat, and so many things we can't even list. We are abundantly blessed. Found me 
take the opportunity to welcome uh, our students who are uh, who have returned to their home church. I see Amadi and also I see Steve Philiston. Just want to let you know that we're very happy to have you home at this time. Today here at Abundant Life we have a very special presentation for you for those who are watching us and listening at this time. Today we are examining, we are going deep into uh, uh, this presentation of Isaiah chapter 53. And as we examine the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior today, we really hope and pray that this makes an impression on you to the point where you may make Jesus your own personal Lord and Savior. Before this trio of individuals, our senior pastor, Dr. Calvin B. Rock, and our principal, uh, Johnny Holliday, and Pastor Lewis come to you, we will hear from our mass choir, who will present a spiritual song of meditation for you. Then you will hear from Isaiah chapter 53. God bless.
Let the church say amen. amen. I don't know if you noticed, but I could understand not only the lyrics, but the music, the melody, but every word they said. Oh, they sang, and thank you, choir. That was top-notch. Thank you to our musicians. Now, brothers and sisters, we've talked about a lot, had a lot of announcements, a lot of work to do, what's going to happen after the service today, and delay activities things, and 5 o'clock this evening, you want to return those social committee forms, be sure to give them to the ushers, the AY at 4. It's a busy program at Abundant Life. But for the next 30, 40 minutes, I'd like for you to shut out everything else and let us concentrate on the Word. Is that all right? Let's drill down on the Word of God. Father in heaven, we thank thee for being so good to us that we are not hospitalized or hospitized today, but we're here in health and strength to associate with each other and worship you, our majesty. And as we open the word, may we hear your voice through your Holy Spirit telling us this is the way, walk ye in it. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Our topic today is the blessed Lamb of God. A few Sabbaths ago, I challenged you, Abundant Life, to join me in ending the year on a high spiritual note. The topic that day was, in him is the yay. Now, I know we hear all kinds of sermons and they soon fade away, but uh, hopefully not all of them. But how many were here? May I see hands? In him is the yay, 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 nay, nay. Some of you remember. And I concluded the sermon by suggesting that as we end the year, we do so in fasting. I challenge you to fast every Friday from now to the end of 2010. Not all day if you don't or can't, I don't wish to do that, but just miss a meal and instead of eating during that time, pray and ask for God's guidance and protection and blessings upon you, our families, and our church. And I also read to you from the pen of the lesser light, Ellen White, that it would be a good thing for all of our spirituality if we were to read Isaiah 53, good for us individually, good for our families, good for our church family. Isaiah chapter 53. Not going to ask for hands, but I know some of you have been doing that. And I hope if you haven't, you pick up the habit. It's not very long between now and December 31, but every day, read that chapter. Read that chapter and see what it does for you, and see what it does for your family. And there are reasons for that. In fact, our prophet tells us in the fourth SDA Bible commentary, page 1147, 
this chapter, Isaiah 53, this chapter should be studied. It presents Christ as the Lamb of God. Those who are lifted up with pride, whose souls are filled with vanity, should look upon this picture, the precious Lamb of God, we've called it, this picture of their Redeemer, and, with um, and humble themselves in the dust. The entire chapter should be committed to memory. Interesting. The entire chapter should be committed to memory. Its influence will subdue and humble the soul. And we've been talking about a non-complaint environment in our homes, in our church, in our individual lives. And this is the final solution for that. It's not just techniques and ideas from authors, but the final solution, because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And if we humble ourselves and subdue ourselves, those defiled by sin and uplifted by self-exaltation will find themselves drawn to be like the Savior. And after all, that's our ultimate design and goal, is it not? To be like Jesus. Is that not our ultimate goal? Yeah. To be like him in our homes, husbands, wives, children, and their relationships and in our church. And it works. It worked in the book of Acts for the Ethiopian eunuch, remember? He was journeying and he was reading a certain chapter, the Bible says, and when he got to reading about this lamb who was despised and rejected, Philip came along and he said, who was the Bible talking about? And the record is that when he explained that it was Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the eunuch got down out of his chariot and he said, what doth hinder me from being baptized? He joined the church right on that one chapter. And of course, history is filled with such a testimony. So we'd like to engage you today in the study of this book so that as you read it every day, it'll have more meaning for you. And we hope that it will be a blessing, not only for us in this environment, but as the days go by and we, the church, get tied into Isaiah 53 and the precious Lamb of God. I'd like for my colleagues to join me now, and if they will, we will look at the screen and we will begin with our title page, Isaiah 53, the precious Lamb of God. You have your Bibles, and I do not wish to suggest that the screen will serve as a substitute study source. I want you to look at your Bible, and we will be looking at the screen, but the Bible will be our focus, your Bible, because you won't have the screen with you when you go home, and you will have your Bible. 
Isaiah chapter 53. I will read, and I'd like for you to read with me, just 12 verses. I'm going to read them, and then we will begin our discussion. The Word of God, and I'm reading from the New King James. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Speaking of Jesus. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken, and he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he will divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Pastor Lee Wars, verse 1 of Isaiah 53 begins by asking who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord revealed. And it goes on to talk about him appearing as a root out of a dry ground and as a tender plant. What do you make of this? Well, first of all, um, as you look at it, Isaiah is truly, truly excited as you have read the chapter. And Isaiah is asking a rhetorical question. Having seen the suffering servant, Isaiah is excited, he's surprised, he's overwhelmed with what Jesus has done here, what the Savior is doing here. And so he asks, who has believed our report? Can you believe this? That someone would do this for a sinner, for a wretch, as Paul would say, like me. As it relates to the tender plant, we realize here that just as you are unable to see the slow growth of a stem out of, uh, out of a branch, that's how the Israel never anticipated the coming of Jesus. In fact, they said that, is not this the carpenter's son in Matthew 13, 55? They asked, what good thing can come out of Nazareth? 
the hood. Can something come, good come out of the hood of Nazareth? So the Son of Man not even had somewhere to lay his head. And I know, church, that today it would be incredulous to really bow down to somebody who never had formal education or even a place to lay his head. So Isaiah is truly amazed. Amazed that Jesus appears as a root out of a dry ground. We don't usually see roots coming out of dry ground. No. But here is this, cons this great consecrated exclamation who has, who can believe this? Who can imagine that the king of heaven would come down and live among us and condescend through all the orders of creation? And he has no form or comeliness. Meaning what? In other words, Jesus perhaps could come to church today and we would not be attracted to him. He probably would walk down the aisle and he would not be like a Barack Obama who locks down the city. You know all the exits are closed because the president is here. Jesus, a little bit taller, we're told in, in, in inspiration, than the average man. But there was nothing so attractive about him uh, that you would be, uh, ad admire him. It was more of what his, his substance, the substance that he brought to the people. And Principal Holiday. We look at verse 3 and it says, he was despised and rejected of men. These words are loaded with meaning, but what do you find them to say to you individually, to you personally? Well, interest interestingly, you hear, you hear all the excitement about Isaiah and what's happening. But, you know, when you think about Jesus being despised, Jesus, our Savior, was looked down upon. He was scorned. He was considered negligible. In, in other words, Jesus was not looked upon as being prudent. You see, when he spoke, he did not do as I know many do. We think about what we're going to say, particularly based on who's listening. Jesus said what needed to be said wasn't prudent, spoke the word, spoke truth. He was rejected by Israel, pastor. Not accepted by the masses, church. His message was rejected. Why? And the message was misunderstood, why? Why, because he spoke the truth, and you know when you speak the truth, what happens? He was despised because he, he, he was dealing with the Sanhedrin, and that was a court system whereby there were certain priests among them, and, and these people decided your fate. And when Jesus spoke, he had no regard for the Sanhedrin, but he told the truth. And because he told the truth, because he exposed their hypocrisy, because he pulled the covers off of their, their trickery and chicanery and their oppression of the people, they rejected him. And the people, what about the people? They wanted food, but did they want the truth? Yes, they did. They wanted the truth, pastor, because Jesus, church, because Jesus could relate to them. Jesus understood their grief. Jesus understood their sorrow. 
Jesus sympathized with their sorrow and the people wanted truth. And you're taking us right into the second division, which comprises verses four, five, and six. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Let's flip these slides now and let the congregation see the next slide, please, which actually, here we are, which has the series of couplets we find in this section where the record is that he bore he had, we had the problems, but he gave the solutions. He bore our griefs. He carried our sorrows and so forth. But before you speak to that, Brother Holiday, Principal Holiday, Pastor Lee was, I noticed that uh, we read over and over again in this section several pronouns. Well, in fact, the word our, O-U-R, occurs six times. We six times. And then there's us and all and all that. What do you make of 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 this wide use of the pronouns that involve the human race? Well, when we, when we think about it, uh, Dr. Rock Church, when we look at it, our, it's very possessive. He did this for us. The suffering servant did it when he was not, even though he was not a sinner. So he's our substitute. And church, you should, you should say amen about that because you did not have to die. And all of us, we, were not on, we are not only being accused rightfully by Satan that we deserve to die. But Jesus stood in our place so that we may have the opportunity to have eternal life. So our substitute is Jesus Christ. And when Isaiah is writing that he has borne our griefs, and carried our sorrows. He simply exalting the fact, illuminating the fact that Jesus is the sacrifice. He is the sacrifice. Us. And he did all of this, Principal Holiday. We had the problem of griefs and sorrows and iniquities and all that. But what do, you, what do you make of griefs? What's the difference between griefs and sorrows? Or are we saying the same thing? Let me speak to that as for as bore our griefs. Christ did not suffer and die for himself, church. He suffered and died for us Amen. and died for me and died for you. The pain and humiliation and the abuse that we deserved, Christ died so that we wouldn't have to live through that. Christ took it upon himself. When you say bore, you often hear that Jesus took away my sins. You hear that a lot. Jesus took away my sins. But it goes beyond that. It goes deeper. Jesus himself bore our sins. That means he lifted up our sins. Jesus carried our sins. Jesus, who was sinless, became the sin barrier. Jesus had the weight of the sick, the spiritual infirmities, on his shoulder. He had the weight of the evil on his shoulder. He had the weight of the poor and the suffering on his shoulder. Jesus had the weight of the world on his shoulder. And for that, he deserves to be praised. Amen. So let's look at the next slides. And we detail again, he was wounded for our transgressions. Pastor Lee Wars, what do you say about him being wounded? 
Well, Isaiah here is referring to the analogy of war. Uh, Jesus came into the world to battle sin for us. And for that, in this, in this catastrophe, in, in dealing with this problem of sin, he was mortally wounded for us, for our transgressions. He bore the price. He bore the penalty for sin. And as such, he was wounded in this battle. Well, you know, there's a song that the old folk used to sing, or saying, must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease? while others fought to win the prize and went through stormy seas. And the allusion to the fact that if Jesus had to suffer, so do we. Do you sense that his being wounded is a reminder that if we live for him, we also will be wounded? Oh, certainly. And uh, in Christendom, we know uh, that most times Christianity is, is displayed as... Uh, some form of a comforting experience. But we know that as soon as you stand up for Christ, you will make enemies. Mm. And that's a natural thing. So perhaps if you never have a challenge with anyone, you probably need to do a, a little self-introspection or analyze your Christianity, your walk with God, to see whether or not you're in tune with him and his word. So we, too, will bear and sometimes may have to die for our faith. But, but Pastor Lee Wars, Pastor, Pastor Rock here, Jesus also, we must understand, when we, when we think of wounded, we think about both the physical and the spiritual. And when we think of wounded, let's, let's look at the reality that Jesus was pierced. He was pierced, and when we think of pierced, pierced in his hand, Pierced in his feet, Jesus was actually on the battlefield for you and for I. Amen. He was wounded. He was taking blows, church. It's as though he was wrestling and constantly taking blows and, and hits for your sins and for my sins. That type of wounded is something to be reckoned with. And it also says he was bruised for our iniquities. Principle. Bruised for our iniquities. You've, you've opened up the wounded thing. What about this bruise? How, what does that say to you? The, the word bruise, the word bruise speaks to, and it translates from the Hebrew, deca, meaning to be crushed. Jesus was crushed. Our Lord was crushed, oppressed, and beat to pieces. The word of God said in Isaiah 63 that, that, that Christ as treading the winepress of God's wrath upon the unbelieving nations of the world. The winepress. You know what that means? If you ever seen a winepress, if you ever seen, if you've seen a commercial where they're standing out here in the vineyard and the men have on, have on their, 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 their pants up to here and they're pressing, they're pressing the grapes crushing that's how God was that's how Jesus was he was pressed down crushed and oppressed eternally and outwardly and did that start in Gethsemane or did that start earlier in his life Pastor Lee was when did his crushing begin and this this crushing started earlier in his in his ministry as you know in Gethsemane when he kneeled down to pray his sweat was as great drops of blood and he asked the question if this cup, let this cup, he says, pass away from me. And that tells me that as Christians, sometimes we ourselves, as followers of Jesus, 
I feel the oppression, the weight of our walk with him. But Jesus went on to say, nevertheless. Nevertheless. Nevertheless, whatever the situation is, whatever the challenge is, the temptation is, nevertheless. Though I'm wounded, though I'm sick, though I have cancer riddling my body, nevertheless. So Jesus himself says, I'll drink the cup, all of it. And now that Satan can't get to Jesus, he gets to us. Absolutely. Amen. And he tries us. And he knows us. And he knows our family tree. He knows our, our grandparents and great-grandparents. He knows all of the physical and spiritual characteristics that make each one of us who we happen to be. Amen. And so he... He tailors his temptations and he tailors his trials. He knows just the thing that we are most unlikely to like and to stand. And that's the very thing he punches us on. Amen. The very way he tries to get us to turn aside and the way he seeks to discourage us and bring us grief and sorrows. Well, thank you for that, but we must keep moving along. I notice in verse 6, Pastor Lee Wars, the word of God says, all we like sheep have gone astray. What do you make of that? Well, you know, Isaiah himself understands what farming is. And he is giving you the illusion here to sheep. Sheep can, can walk and eat grass and walk over a cliff and not realize it. Wait a minute, say that again. Sheep can. Sheep can eat grass, eat to the edge of a cliff, and fall over and not even realize what they're doing. Now, did you read that or you seen that? Is that a, a fact? And we know that farmers themselves have lost sheep in this way. In fact, my grandfather had goats, and I've seen farming sheep as well. And we see that sheep, sheep don't think as how humans think, but notice Isaiah compares us to a sheep. That all of us at times walk away from God. He says, all we like sheep. Now that's an insult, isn't it? <laughs> it's a serious insult, but that's what Isaiah says. We turn our backs on God, even though we have the ability to say no. The third part of our lesson is verses seven through nine. And here we see the sheep thing again. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened up, he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shearers is dumb. Have you seen sheep slaughtered, Pastor? Well, you know, I reminded myself this morning what, what sheep slaughter looks like. It's very graphic. And I've seen the process. This Isaiah wants us to see that sin is a dangerous thing, and it requires the blood. It requires a shedding of blood. It requires that someone will have to die. And every time we decide to walk away, to go astray, we must remind ourselves that Paul says in Hebrews that we're actually piercing Christ afresh. And here uh, Isaiah says that the, the lamb opened not his mouth. It is to suggest that even though Christ was not wrong in anything, he didn't sin. They plucked out his beard. They spit on him. Think about that. Someone spitting on you. And without complaint, without murmuring, Jesus took it anyway. And he was guiltless. Now, you know when people point to us and try to convict us of things or accuse us, we get upset. 
But here, Jesus is innocent, and they did this to him. All right, let's advance our slides now. And we've talked about what the middle verses are saying, but uh, we are also now going to advance to another phase, and that has to do with the latter part of the third of our divisions. We talked about the status of the lamb, who can believe our report. He's a root out of a dry ground. He's a tender plant. He has no form of comeliness. We talked about the suffering of the lamb. He's despised and rejected and bruised and pierced. And I forgot to ask you, but don't, don't let me pass it all together. He had the chastisement of our peace, meaning the price of our peace was upon him and all of that. But now we're dealing with the silence of the lamb. And verses 7, 8, and 9 talk about that. Verse 8 says, He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? What is Isaiah talking about, Principal Holiday? He was taken from prison and from judgment. He was taken from prison and from judgment. I want to speak to that. But, but, but I want to go back to the slide before that. If you will go back to the slide before that, we need to make sure that we, that we deal with uh, his alienation. All his right. alienation. You the, see... Meaning the price of our peace. The price of our peace. We lacked peace because sin, Isaiah 59, 2 says, separated us from God. Exactly. So we did not have peace with God. We were alienated from him. Now you want to comment on that. And, and not only alienated, we, we, were, we didn't love him. Not only alienated, we but we were contrary to him. We didn't love him. We were not attached to him at all. Not De attached detached at all. and enemies. Absolutely. All right. Absolutely. And, and Jesus said, Jesus had to endure chastisement. That means chastisement. You, you inflict punishment. Punishment was inflicted upon our Lord. He was cascaded. He was criticized severely to make us at peace. To make us at peace. Peace. Shalom. Because of the price he paid, the chastisement, the discipline that he had to allow himself to be permissible to. We can experience that peace only through God and through the salvation that God offers. So Jesus paid the price of our peace. We would never have gotten peace again with the Father, but that Jesus brought us together. Absolutely. He put one hand in the Father's grasp, he took the other hand and grasped us, and he was the medium by whom heaven and earth, the Father and sinners were united again. We were brought back to God the Father by the services of this our precious lamb. But since you're returning back to that section, Principal Holiday, um, this silence that Jesus endured says he, he, he didn't open his mouth, he didn't say a word. Uh, what's that mean to the Christian, fellas? Uh, do, do Christians just get kicked around and never say anything? Is that what this is telling us? Well, turn the other cheek. Let them stomp on you and don't never raise your voice, never say anything. Is there a time? To, we know why Jesus didn't speak, right? Because 
he had to suffer all of this in order for our chastisement to be taken care of. He had to pay the price. But what about us? Are we too to be suffering servants? Is that it, what real Christianity is all about? If, if someone breaks into your home and, and say to you, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to kill your wife. Is she in there? Is she in the room? I'm going to kill your wife. How would you answer that, brother? <laughs> well, since I have to protect my wife, I'll have to ensure the safety of my wife. Amen, church? Amen. So therefore, to, to answer your question, we must understand the context of the word uh, as in to kill, whether or not we need to, whether or not we need to defend our family. Is there a difference in kill and murder? Indeed, indeed. When the Bible says, thou shall not kill, the Hebrew there is suggesting that we should not murder. Hmm. We should not murder. And therefore, in protecting a life, if that individual seeks to murder in that regard, then you have the right to protect your family. So let's see, the man asked you a question. Somebody's got a gun, run in your house, I'm gonna kill you, or you and your wife. Is your wife here? What do you say? I defend my wife against the enemy. What do you say? And I say, in this case, <laughs> I think the church already answered the question, no. Uh, the choir has spoken for you, all right. We won't Thank you, you choir. Praise right. God. You, you will say no, and then you say, Lord, forgive me for the lie I told? I probably, I probably would do this. I probably would do that. But, but, but in, a greater, in a greater extent, in a greater extent, if this man comes into my house, Elder Holiday, and says, do you believe in Jesus the Christ? Or I will kill you if you say yes. Or... If you say yes, we are going to kill you. Rosalie Wars and Russellie Wars. Well, at that point in time, choir, <laughs> this is the time now where I have to surrender to my Lord and Savior, Amen. Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So you would be willing to die for Jesus, but not for Rosa. I'm saying that in work. Thank you for the question. It's an opportunity to take a stand for my wife. And I All believe right. at this time that I would stand for my wife. All right. Well, we won't press you too hard. Praise God. That, that probably won't happen. Amen. But back to the basic question, Principal Holiday. Uh, does the, is there a time when we Christians suffering, you know, I'm on my job and he keeps telling me I have to work on the Sabbath and I say, I can't work on the Sabbath and they keep pressuring me. Do, do I defend myself some way? Do I get a lawyer? Do I get help from the church? Is there a time when the Christian under suffering has to push back? There is. There is. Because it is first said that if you follow me, take up this cross. It is not my cross. There is a time, and the reason why, if you remember the footprints, who were the footprints? Were they yours or were they the Lord's? Footprints of Jesus. 
I have to push back, but I lean on Christ to carry me forward. All right, good enough, and I wish we had more time to unpackage all of that. But let's go to the trial of Christ taken from Pilate to Herod, and Herod remembered it wasn't his jurisdiction, sent back to Christ. And we have listed for the congregation 14 different illegal aspects of the trial of Christ. I tell you, brothers and sisters, Isaiah is opening up. Let's go back to number one. We want to hold with number one. Isaiah is giving us four, he doesn't outline these, but he's opening up for our vision the cruelty and the injustice of the, of the trial of Jesus. Take us over the first few, Principal Holiday. Well, first of all, we have to understand that Isaiah also talks about the Sahedrian. And the Sahedrian, or the Sanhedrin, were this court of elitist judges, high priests. And they actually tried our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and they went against all the laws that they put in place. Wrongfully arrested. There was no warrant or no authority to arrest, to arrest Jesus. They had no arrest. Warrant. Okay, number Not two. At all. Number two. And as we said, you had there were certain criteria you had to be to even be on this court. And Annas, not a judge at all, and yet he participated. The former high priest. Absolutely. All right, number three. Trial on Friday. The Jewish law spoke to. You could not trial anyone or have a trial on the Sabbath. On the preparation day before the Sabbath. Could yeah. not. You could not. All right, number four. Next slide. Trial at night. Was he tried, what, Thursday night? Yes. Could not. Against Jewish laws. And being Thursday night, it was still Friday because the sun had gone down. So that's the fourth way in which the trial broke the law. Number five. Trial during the Passover. Certainly a no-no. Number six. No prior charges. There, were, there was not anything. Usually with the trial, you have to have some evidence. I, I guess and submit to you that they probably did what we hear in modern day law, probable cause. Number seven. No prior witnesses. The only witness that there was even perhaps there, and he conspired to do this, and that was Judas. All right. Now let's go to number eight. Pastor Lee Walsh, take us through the rest of these. Accusations, which is, uh, first they said that Jesus blasphemed because Jesus says, I am the I am, as you remember. So they couldn't get Jesus on that one. So they went for sedition, which is to say that Jesus was working against the Roman authority. So he was causing a problem with the state, so they needed to take care of him to kill him. And in the uh, Jewish law, it was illegal to change the charges in the middle of the trial. That's correct. Number, Number nine. nine. False witnesses, you know they had to manufacture some people. And they could have called several witnesses who Jesus dealt with himself. The blind man. They could have called Lazarus. They could have called the paralytic. They could have called the woman at the well. Several people would have gladly given a testimony for Jesus. Number ten. And number 10, no witnesses for the defendant. So right there, no one came to testify on the behalf of Jesus. Number 11. 
personal defense denied. Jesus could not uh, uh, defend himself because even though they asked him the question, the questions, they tried to trap him. And so eventually he had to let them know who he was. And number 12, 13, and 14. Trial ended the same day. That's against Jew Jewish practice and custom. Uh, condemnation by the Jews. This, this is their brother. And usually they don't condemn a brother uh, of their own uh, ethnicity. Pronounced innocent but crucified. You remember what Pilate said. Pilate says, I find no fault in him. And the people said, no, we don't want this Jesus. Give us Barabbas bar Jesus. So that day they had to choose between two Jesus. Barabbas bar Jesus. Bar, uh, Barabbas uh, bar Jesus. And Jesus the Christ. And you know who they chose. So here, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, are 14 different errors in the trial of Christ. 14 legal inconsistencies. And were we to study, we'd probably find a few more. But for all these reasons, Isaiah is amazed. And Amen. Says, who can believe our report? And worst of all, to be pronounced innocent. Who ever heard of a, of a sentence that says, he is innocent, crucify him. And yet that is exactly what happened to our Lord. And the verse that we are studying also says, Pastor Lee was, he was cut off. What do you make of his being He was off? killed. He was, as the Hebrew says, gazar. He was finished, expired. They took him out, as it were. Because he, he threatened, what Jesus did was threaten the everyday life of, the, of tradition. And so if you can't join us, the leader says, said, we've got to get rid of you. And so they cut him off, they killed him, as Daniel 9, 26 points out in the midst of the week. And what does Isaiah mean in verse 9 when he said he made his grave with the 